When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in God's own self and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to to Judeans, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Right now, in holes carefully dug at the top of steep cliffs on a wild island, there are hundreds of fragile eggs waiting to burst forth into new life. And they are being tended by vigilant parents from a colony of puffins that were stuffing those holes with soft grass when I visited there a few weeks ago. For much of the year, these puffins live out in the Atlantic, far out at sea. But the holy calling to be fruitful and multiply brings them to this breeding ground every spring on the island of Staffa. Each pair will have only one egg to care for. And then if all goes well, they will have one chick to feed until it's time to return to the open sea. It took us about an hour to get to the island over choppy water, and we didn't see the puffins when we first arrived. But then when we climbed up a steep cliff and went out and just sat near the edge, they actually started coming to us as if we were their long-lost companions. We had been told to expect this, but it still came as a surprise. Why would wild birds seek out the company of strangers like us, especially given the power dynamic between the two creatures. As it turns out, the puffins feel safe when they are near humans because other birds, which are their real predators, stay away when we are present. So there we were, perched together on a gorgeous cliff overlooking the sparkling sea The sun was shining, the breeze was blowing, trust was abounding, and the experience of coexistence with all of this goodness made me very glad and very grateful. The island itself is a remarkable example of what Celtic Christians call the great cathedral of earth, sky, and sea. Its basalt columns, which were made by volcanic activity over 60 million years ago, actually look like massive organ pipes. And the howling wind and the crashing waves around them create an eternal song of praise. It made me think of that psalm that we heard this morning where the writer exalts the harmony in all creation by saying, praise the Lord from the earth, You sea monsters in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and fog, tempestuous wind, doing God's will, 
mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild beasts and all cattle, creeping things, flying birds, sovereigns of the earth and all people. Let them praise the name of the Lord. There are no human inhabitants on Staffa, but on the nearby island of Iona, people have been offering their own song of praise in cathedrals, abbeys such as this, since the day that an exiled monk named Columba landed there in the 6th century. He was banned from his native country of Ireland because his way of seeing the sacred presence of God in all things did not fit the agenda of an expanding Roman Empire that was conquering people and land in the name of Jesus. As a Celtic Christian, Columba drew heavily on the teaching of a second century saint named Irenaeus, who was really the first missionary to his Gaelic ancestors in France. And Irenaeus taught that the whole of creation flows from the very substance of God. All things, he said, carry within them the essence of their creator. In Irenaeus' time, this presented a problem for the proponents of a theology called creation out of nothing, which actually became the standard of the Western church up through the time of Columba and beyond. In that theology, creation was not viewed as something that, that just flows forth from the substance of God but something fashioned far away by a distant creator made of nothing sacred. In one of his books that traces this history, John Philip Newell writes, Irenaeus intuited that this would be a disaster. This is in the second century. That to neutralize matter, to teach that creation does not come from holy substance, would lead to the abuse of creation. It was a convenient truth, he said, so that the empire could do whatever it wished to matter. It could ravage the earth's resources with impunity. It could disparage the rights of creatures and subordinate the physical well-being of all of its subjects. In that sense, said Irenaeus, religion had become the accomplice of the state's subordination of the earth. It's no surprise then that the state religion of the British Isles in Columbus' time had no room for people like him. Like Irenaeus, he passionately taught that the substance of the earth and its creatures carries within all of that the life of the Holy One. God, he said, is both above us and in us and all things. If you are wanting to claim and exploit the land for the purposes of an expanding empire, and if you are wanting to subjugate its people by stripping them of all of their natural rights, you can't start by seeing God in all of that, in the land, in the people, before you ever arrived. It just doesn't work. So Columbus set sail, not knowing where he would land, but knowing deep down that it would be a sacred place. 
His short journey took him to this bay on the island of Iona. And when he stepped out of the boat, his feet touched some of the most ancient stones on the planet. Usually this particular kind of granite is hidden far beneath the earth's surface. But on this rare beach, it is there to be touched and held and sometimes used. You can pick up those stones today, as I did, and feel in your hand a part of the earth's matter that is over two and a half billion years old. Hold it in your hand. Touch it. And as I did that, it was a similar feeling that I had when we communed with the puffins in their wild sanctuary. I knew that I was holding a part of God that was prehistoric and that I was one with it as I ran my fingers over its smooth surface. I knew, too, that in my time, the forces that oppose this way of seeing the holy in that stone are no less aggressive than in the times of Irenaeus and Columba. As John Philip Newell notes in another of his books, countries that are predominantly Christian have been at the forefront of planetary degradation over the last 100 years. He attributes this in part to excessive orientation in our religious inheritance toward transcendence always which can easily become a spirit of alienation from this natural world. And that really hit home with me when I thought about the way in which the book of Revelation, which we heard this morning, has been understood and taught in many of our churches. If you listen to the people I'm thinking about, you get the clear impression that Revelation is all about a great escape from this planet where tribulations rule the day. In their interpretation of John's vision, the earth is actually disposable, along, by the way, with the vast majority of humans who don't make the cut, who don't make it into God's new kingdom, which is always out there, somewhere, far removed from the puffins and the rocks and the howling wind and the crashing waves. In the end, they say, that's where the new heaven and the new earth will be. It will be out there where God is, out there in some new home away from home. But what happens when we hold all of that up to the rest of what John says about this new heaven and this new earth in our reading today and about the place where God will be found Instead of talking about going up to some better place, John sees this new creation coming down from heaven, prepared, he says, as a bride adorned for her husband. And the loud voice he hears says, See, the home of God is with humans, with mortals. God will dwell with them as their God They will be God's people, and that very God will be with them. In other words, God is not throwing away ever this sacred earth and everything in it. Instead, God is coming to be fully present right here where we live. 
as they say in the Iona community inspired by Columba, God is right here before us, behind us, beside us, within us. And like the puffins that are carefully tending their one fragile egg this day, God is here to tend this one fragile planet and always to coax forth new creation. For me, it all corresponds in a profound way with today's gospel story as well. When Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot come, it makes it sound like he is planning his escape from this earth. We might imagine, for example, that he is on his way to a heavenly home that is far removed from the suffering of this world. But then we stop and remember that when Jesus said this, it wasn't on some mountain was he, when he was being ready to ascend to heaven. Jesus said that on his way to the cross. He said it on his way to Jerusalem, where he would be tried and condemned and crucified. Maybe he knew that this was a much greater commitment to solidarity with mortals and with humankind than any of his disciples were ready to make. At that point, it truly was a place to which none of them could or would go. But Jesus went there willingly because the home of God is with people and with this earth that received his broken body. The Celtic cross that casts its shadow on the small pilgrim's chapel at the Iona Abbey where Columba's bones were laid to rest has a circle in the middle, as do all Celtic crosses. And it isn't just something stylistic. The circle at the center of those crosses, like the one I always wear, is a statement of faith. It's an affirmation that the cross and God's creation, this earth, are forever joined together as one. And in this cross above the abbey, there's also something else that I love. At the heart of that circle where the vertical and the horizontal lines intersect is an image of a mother and a child. The mother holds the child against her breast as she nurtures the new life that has come forth from within her. See, the home of God is here on this sacred earth, on the cliff where puffins tend their eggs, in this church where we gather twice on the same weekend to remember God in both death and resurrection and God's presence with us here, and where we remember that in the struggles and the joys and the challenges that every one of us faces at this moment, God is here in every part of creation where harmony is made and where new life bursts forth. As we go on our way, I like the prayer that one of our retreat members offered on the evening of our trip to Staffa. God help me become the person the puffins think I am. (laughs) Thanks be to God.